0: We just returned from our tour of duty, Uh, we've been since this August to Sydney, Nairobi, Kenya, and Dubai, and Kota Narbaru for our ministry. So we are so glad to be home here, and especially here in the East Centre, in Suntech. The year was 2014. We were in Japan, in Hiroshima. And here for the first time, I heard of this term called the NEET generation, N-E-E-T. And here in Hiroshima, after our IDMC conference, we were there and we walked the city and we prayed for the land. We came to realize there is a NEET generation here, this generation is between 17 to 35 years old. They are made up of the young and the restless and the jobless generation. 1.7 million in the year 2004. What does need stands for? NEET stands for not in education, employment or training. So these are the ones that are uh, eating rice, playing games, uh, going social media, uh, drinking maybe, partying maybe and most of the time they stay home and they don't leave the home or the house They are occupied with gaming and movies and what have you So this is a culture that perpetuates not just in Japan but I'm sure it is also a worldwide phenomenon So today we have what we call this a culture of irresponsibility This is a culture because it actually explains to us, to some extent, that responsibility is a good word, but it may not be the perfect word for all of us. The culture of irresponsibility is a culture devoid of responsibility, devoid of purpose, devoid of the meaning of existence or connectivity with others. So the Chinese idiom from the Han dynasty, this is from the Confusion, that says there is this whole arena of meaning they don't need to do anything, but they receive everything. They don't need to lift a finger, but they have everything to eat, and whatever their wish is other people's command. And therefore, they got a reward for not doing any stuff. So it started with a mindset of, you know, of going free and easy, cruise their way and just be lazy, sit around, hang around, became a habit. And before long, it became a way of life and it became a stronghold. Now the question is, why why do people like that allow to last so long? It's because the people who live with them allows them to last that long. So it's a convenient way out, a convenient laziness, full of excuses. Maybe the sun is too hot, the rain is coming, and so on and so forth. And therefore, it is like that for them for the longest time. Thomas Kempis said this, is a very interesting quote, and let me quote. It says, fight like a man, wow, fight like a man. Habit is overcome by habit. So if you want to undo a habit, form a new habit to undo the old habit. You see, this is not just a culture, but it is a changing culture. This is a changing culture in a changing world. So nothing is permanent. It is a dynamic world we live in. So the whole idea of the neat generation is not just in Japan but also all over the world, because it is a worldwide phenomenon. Today, in some sectors of the world, hard work is being spun upon. It is being belittled. And therefore, there's always an easier way of earning money, right? So one day you decide that you're not going to work, so you're going to pick up an interest like cooking, and you shoot a video, and you shoot the, how you cook laksa, mee siam, longtong, you know, chicken rice, and you put it on the YouTube. And then people saw your YouTube, and they like it. They subscribe to it. Ah, If your subscription goes up to the thousands and the millions, you earn big money. That's a very easy way to earn money. Now, I'm not telling you this lazy way of earning money. No, it's not lazy, but you really need to work very hard to sustain the subscription. But in this age of digital marketing and online platform, it is easy to earn money without even stepping out of your home. It is a new generation, a changing landscape for us today. But we are not perpetuating a culture of laziness, but we really need to work hard. Even when you post whatever subscription, YouTube, please work hard and work smart and work honestly. In today's text, in 2 Thessalonians, we look into a very interesting text for us. 2 Thess chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. Three times the word work is mentioned. First time in verse 10, it says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Second, in verse 11, some some are not busy at work, but they are busybodies. Verse 12, command and encourage those to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So three times the word work is mentioned. And here it raises for us two fundamental principles about the theology of work for all of us. We can infer from this passage two very strong, important principles. Principle number one, First of all, we must learn to regard work as a meaningful responsibility. You see, work is created by God, instituted by God. In Genesis 1.28, it says, Be fruitful and multiply. But first of all, you've got to tilt the land to feed yourself. So work is instituted by God. It's not just for us because we have bills to pay, and we have uh, Spotify and Netflix subscription to pay but the fact that work is an institution, institution by God. So work is an obligation, a commitment, something we are bound to do and obliged to do. So it is out of a sense of duty that we need to work, to fulfil us and so as to provide for ourselves and our family. It is a commitment, a requirement and an agreement. Now, in the next slide, work gives meaning. The sustenance of our livelihood. In verse 10, it says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, we are not talking about people who are unable to work. The sick, the aged, the young. But we are talking about people who are able to work and not work. So here's work sustains life. It is a contribution to others. We work not because we have a job to do, not because we are paid, but we work because it is part and parcel of that responsibility. You know, in 2009 in March, we visited a place called the Garbage City in Cairo. You can see uh, how the, the the things pile up for us and all this are sorted out already they are sorted out for reselling and of course to sell for food and it is an eye opener for me actually if you can go to a slum area like this put it in your bucket list you learn far more than you go to a big place a five star six star hotel with with great views and all that because it really brings you into your soul to ask yourself, why are there people living like that? And why am I so fortunate to live like this? So therefore, it was an eye-opener. And as we traveled the road in, in, in the whole Cairo city, you notice people selling pita bread along the way. And it's dusty and dirty. And so whoever buys the bread will have to dust the bread, the dust of the, the, the pita bread and eat it there and then. It is a very dusted pita bread. But this is life for them, and, and the houses are very interesting because they are interlocking. There's a main house, you can build a house on top, next to each other, behind, before, and build on top of the house that's on top. As long as the owner allows you, you pay a certain sum, you can build any old house and how big the house is. So it's very intriguing because of the fact that there is no structure in, in, in the city. And in the next slide, you'll be able to see this slum area where the children the children followed their parents working in the dumps. And it is in the dumps of one quarter million people who live like that. And they mainly comprise of the Coptic Christians. The Christians in Egypt, they are called Coptic Christians. And the city's rubbish is dumped in this area, the garbage city, every single day. There's no infrastructure, there's no healthcare, there's a lot of flies, a lot of rats, stench, great smell, wonderful aroma and a lot of disease, a lot of death And the most poignant picture I received was as our bus was travelling down and up this whole uh, um, city There was this mother with an infant in her arm and a a toddler who, who could hardly walk well She was taking some morsels of food and feeding it to her toddler from the garbage. There are people who live like that. And they brought up their young like that. And so they each out their livelihood by collecting and sorting out the paper, the wood, the cans, the plastics, the wires, and the paper and the containers, and they resell and recycle. And most of the children who work alongside their parents hardly go to school. They wear whatever they pick up from the dams, eat whatever they find in the dams. And it's a deplorable state. And I think that that trip taught me so much, taught so much more about the dignity and the sensitivity of life. And there is no shortcut in learning deep lessons like this. So to those who have nothing, they work. Surprisingly, to other countries, that are rich, they don't need to work because they are supplied amply. They have a choice of the ample supply, the buffet of food, and the choices of not just ordering from this, but the renowned chef, Michelin one star, and so on and so forth. In the next slide, this picture of the cave church became their only solace. This is a picture that I've taken. Sorry about the bad quality, but from my little phone camera, this is the, the, the picture taken. The cave church is their only solace. The cave church doesn't need acoustic sound system like this. We were standing on the stage and we were shouting and you could hear right at the end. This sits about 15,000 people. Natural acoustic. And therefore, with dignity, they will dress their Sunday best and come to church, it becomes their solace, and the ability to worship God in a dumpster. That gave them dignity. I was playing with the children, and the little candies or sweets that I brought, I was giving one each to each child. I wish I bought one whole ton, you know, or even the whole luggage of sweets to give away, or food to give away. But the little morsels of food I have and the sweets I gave to the little kids, and I tell you, there was this twinkle in their eyes if you, when you drop a candy there. And, and they don't know what to do with this. And they look upon it, examine it, and, and test it. I say, put it in your mouth. So we do a lot of hand signal. After they put in their mouth, I say, nice, good, good, yeah, good, you know. But I tell you, there's not a shred of self-pity. They never come and beg from us who are tourists. There's a dignity about us. So livelihood is etched out for those who are poor, for those who need to work. In the next slide, we talk about the stories of our legacy. Work is not just to earn money to pay the bills. It is being busy at work and not being a busybody. Yeah, there's this sarcasm, mockery that goes into the line. It says they are not busy with work, but they are busybodies. Meaning what? They're supposed to work hard and earn their living, work quietly. Instead, they are busy about other people's business. They will come and try to give you advice, or for that matter, they will push their way and, and try to think that their way is best, and they will nosy and meddling with other people's business. They should be working, but they are not. Proverbs 13.4 says this, The soul of the lazy man craves and get nothing. But the soul of the diligent person shall be made full, shall be rich. So in other words, the person who should have known better, should have worked better, didn't. Now, the question is, why are there people like that? Well, maybe they are allowed to continue for too long, or maybe they think that Christ is coming, so no need to work. Or for that matter, the real reason perhaps they are trying to avoid a, a deeper issues that they are facing and running away so that when they are into other people's business, they don't have to control or they don't have to face their own issues with themselves. So there's a deeper inner psychological need that they are not willing or ready to face. The real issue is that they should be working somewhere and earning their keeps. The second principle that we can draw from this text about the theology of work is this. We must not just regard work as a meaningful responsibility, but also regard work as a meaningful opportunity. We work and there are many opportunities. Work is an expression of your gifts, your talent, your training. Work is also an expression of your personality. You bring your personality to work. If you are a dull person, your work is also dull. Yeah? If you are a lively person, your work will be so interesting. If you are a people-centered person, everybody will like you. You know, Christmas, you'll receive many presents. Yeah. But if you are a lone ranger, you care nobody, nobody care you. Your Christmas present is zero. So it brings out your personality. That's where you learn how to give and learn how to receive as well. Work is an expression of your gift and talent. It expresses your industry, your personality. Work is also an expression of your gratitude. We work to give back to our children, our parents, our loved ones. So love people by giving to them and by being there for them. You know this whole idea of tithing to God, yeah? I don't know how many of you tithe 10% of your money to God. I remember when I was a young Christian, we were we were taught if you have $100, you give $10 to God. Wow, give $10 to God. Uh. They have $10 less to spend, you know. But if we reverse it, that God allows us to have good health, perfect health, good system inside, not not haywire yet, yetna, not in concussion yet, God give you the ability to work, and God even give you ninety percent to spend. Wow! Change your mindset, because it's not what what you deserve. Actually, we deserve nothing. Can you imagine if you're invalid and you're in coma, you are ill health and bound to the hospital bed or somewhere, somewhere, somewhere? And of course, some superstition Christian say toy, 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 toy. You know, but let's say. In another scenario where you are bound to a hospital bed with no more ability to work. But we have the ability to work. So 90% God allows you to keep for yourself, to do all your nail, pedicure, manicure, every cure. Allow you to do hair, take hair away from your 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 you know. Now they have hair removal, you know. Many, many interesting You go for your gym And you don't gym You de-gym, whatever God allows you to keep 90% Can we give praise to God for that? Amen God requires us to give 10% Back to His work How many of you are obedient? How many of you are keeping that 10%? How many of us are robbing God? Ah, these are the robbers of God So I learned If I earn the first hundred, I give $10. If I earn a thousand, I give a hundred dollars, of course. Then, of course, the question is, do you give gross or do you give net? Smart people, right? Okay, then my answer is, do you want God's blessing gross or net? You want God's blessing gross, you give gross. You want net blessing, you give net. You don't want blessing, don't give. Oops, (laughs) take back my last sentence. But it is true, isn't it? God gives us the opportunity to work, to express our gratitude to Him. Next slide. Why is work a purposeful opportunity? Well, first of all, to develop ourselves, to fulfill the trait that we are trained in, so that we will learn, so that we will grow, we will excel, and we we will definitely improve, and so that we will be better skilled, and better integrated. So we become an implementer, integrator, a team player. There's so many advantages of working so that you are able to connect with people, so that people are able to connect with you, and so on. So it develops resilience, resourcefulness, organisational abilities, and compassion, and so on and so forth. Actually, you don't realise it when we work. We have everything within a workplace environment to actually tutor us, to be a mature individual in the Lord. Secondly, work is also to avail ourselves to God's divine appointment. I remember when I was working in the uh, Raffles City area, every two o'clock I would walk the the area and I would pray for the office because at two o'clock most people went back to after lunch. And one day I was walking and then at the square there I saw this, this lady, she's probably my age at that time. At that time, uh, uh, I was not this old, but at that time I was younger a little bit, So she was about my age and she was very sad and and she was just staring blankly, you know. And I I felt drawn to her, so I sat next to her and said, Excuse me, are you are you okay? You know? And she, she turned to me with like like tears was beaming filling her eyes and she said, you know, it's like this stranger sit next to me, and then my daughter will say, Mom, you're very random. You know? Randomly go to a stranger and randomly sit and randomly talk. I say I'm like that all the time. You know, Love me and accept me. That's me. So I sat with her, and she was telling me how difficult it was to pitch herself for this interview, and she lost the job because they're a better candidate, and so on. So she went on to say she's a single mom, she has two kids to feed, and... And so on and so forth And this is her fifth interview that she failed And so I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And she looked at me, it's like, hmm, pray for me? "Uh, Okay, up to you I said, up to me, I'll pray, right? So I prayed for her And I said, what kind of job are you looking for? And So after exchanging I said, you have the skill set my neighbour My neighbouring company was looking for Because I work in what we call a service office So we have different offices and, and different companies so I said, you free now? She said, yeah, free now. Okay, I come, come up with me. So I went up to Prudential Tower, knocked on my neighbor's door and said, hey, I, I heard, remember, you, you were looking for someone like that? I have the perfect candidate for you. Okay, interview now. So in the, in the process of interviewing, that was a perfect match. And then she got the job. And I was so happy because now I realized that she was a backsliding Christian. And all this weight... And all this heaviness weighed deep upon her And she was losing her faith and, and I found the opportunity to build her Send her to a church near her home, etc, etc And the rest is history But there are many of you with divine appointments like that Because God will allow you, when you avail Himself To put you in the right place to the right person Sit next to the person and randomly say, hello And I think it is a perfect opportunity In the next slide, we were told in verse 12 Command and encourage in the Lord Jesus To do their work quietly and to earn their own living, quietly Now I like the word quietly The opposite of quietly means what? Noisily, dramatically so we're talking about those who drama, drama, work. those who are drama workers. They are the kind who, when they do something, they must blast the trumpet, they must tell the world, I achieved this, I did that. Never before has it been done. I am the one who did it, you know. There's a lot of pride, a lot of boastfulness. But here, contrary, the verse says, do it quietly. Why? Because the Lord sees your work. The Lord knows your work. The Lord know how much hard work you put in setting up this place for today It takes a whole logistic team, you know, to do this Now I have been here, there and done that before Because when our church worship in St. Thomas Secondary School We have to tear down the whole place every Sunday Put the chairs and the time, no air corner, St. Thomas Secondary School and run the wires for all our instruments, and put up signboards, set up the Sunday school, at the end of the service, tear it down, you know? So I've been there and done that. I was the head of the logistic team and did all this. But you see, in the whole arena, it doesn't really matter whether or not people appreciate our work. Those of us who did work in secret, God will reward secretly. So there is no need to shout. No need to boast, no need to say or blow the trumpet So quietly actually means with the purity of heart, with the simplicity of the motives There is no other agenda in your work Just simply love God out of gratitude Out of this whole arena Work with your hands, but work with also your heart So that you will love the people in return there was this documentary that I really like. it was it was done by a Dutch uh, documentary company. The title of this is called The Only Sun. you can actually watch it on YouTube, and it was done in 2013. The story is about this young man called Parma, and he was sent to Kathmandu to study, and, and after his schooling, he's supposed to go back to the mountains, the high mountains in, in the uh, Nepal, the Himalayan mountains. And take over the father's uh, livestock farm. They have a huge land with growing of crops and a lot of goats and so on. But he was unwilling to go back because the life in, in the city is so much more relaxed. But the life up there is so hard and, and is so difficult. So it talks about his struggle of going back, marrying a local girl and taking on the role that his father had. Go watch it. To me, documentaries are very moving because it actually talks about the inner struggles of people that is often untold and unspoken. In the next slide, it is an opportunity also to effect change. Society change and transformation is what God is looking to us to fulfil. It is what we call societal responsibility versus individualism. The reason why we wear masks is not because the government says so, right? Wearing of masks protects yourself, it protects other people as well. So, never mind you look ugly, but buy the most uh, colourful mask to wear, lah, right? And now they have many, many different brands and, and designs. But here, the societal responsibility is this. We have a responsibility towards other people, to protect them from us. And we also protect us from them. And, and the world out there in the western side, why must we wear masks? Nobody tell me what to do. I refuse, you know. Then, of course, then there will be a, a lot of appearance of uh, the masked women out there, where, where they insist on their individuality and refuse to take orders from anybody. Societal transformation is important because we can change society slowly. God is at work, so must we continue God's work. You see, the great universe is sustained in its complexity by the power of God at work. This is a very famous line from Ray Statman. The great universe is sustained by the power of God at work. And therefore, we join God in his work in a society where we need to care for the interests of others first and then of course we need to keep the passion and the purpose intact when you get richer share when you get more famous don't boast just bring others into the limelight and share the glory and of course give the ultimate glory to god Don't lose the simplicity and the purity of our motives. When we become bigger, when we become richer, when we become more famous, that's where we need to go down to the earth and start all over again. Begin from the zero again. Let me close by saying this. There is a sacredness with regards to work. A sacredness. Augustine is the one who says, pray as though everything depends on God but work as though everything depends on you. So you give to God the 100%, and then you pray the 100%, so that God will work and continue to extend the work of our ministry. Martin Luther says this, Our work is sacred and well-pleasing to God. You see, if we are deprived of meaningful work, this is where we will be in trouble. Then we find that we will not improve, we will not grow. We won't learn how to share. We won't have friends. We don't have a sense of belonging. We are not better. We are not being shaped by our colleagues. Secondly, work sanctifies us. There's a sanctity of work. Work sanctifies us from the life of pleasure. It detoxifies us from all the leisures and the pleasures of life. And it weans us out from self-deceit that we think we are absolutely... Uh, important and irreplaceable. Work also creates for us an outlet for all our creativity. See, there's this element of redemption from work. That as, as Adam, as the first worker, tilled the ground and, and sweat and toy, and after that, under the, the charcoal wood, he was able to eat the fruit of his labor. There's a lot of sense of accomplishment. You don't eat other people's food, you eat the food that God gave you because God allows you and your hand to work. Work is a blessing, we must not be clock watchers. And therefore, in the light of this, the conclusion is this, the work we are to do and the way we are to walk. In the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper wrote this story. It says there was this Maasai warrior who was convicted of his sin, he was convicted, and then he came to Christ in the middle of a dusty and hot African road. He was led to Christ by someone, and he grew. And as a result of his growth, he went back to his own, his, his own homeland, his own farm, his own village, and started evangelizing to the people. And the people were so angry with him because he brought a new God to them, and they were killing him, they were start to kill him, stone him, and, and did a lot of bad things to him, and, and he was taken to hospital, lying there to die. And then the, the whole village realized that, hey, they have killed a good man because he has given them the good news. And so they were rushing to the hospital to try to beg the doctors to resuscitate him and so on and so forth. So the whole village came to the village hospital to try to pray that he was survived. This is the work we are to do, not just the work for our livelihood. But there is a greater work. The greater work is this, that we must work the work of God. Let me close with Leonard Ravenhill's quote. This is one of the life quotes that I have. It says, the gospel is not an old, old story, freshly told. It is fire in the spirit, fed by the flame of immortal love. And woe to us, if through our negligence, to stir up the gift of God, which is within us, that the fire burns low. This is the greater work. This is the work that is the fire in our spirit and the flame of immortal love. And this is the reason why the greater way that we are to walk and the greater work we are to do. So people of God, as we come to a close and I invite the worship team to come forward, I'd like all of us to take a moment and ask ourselves, what work are you doing now for your livelihood? Would you commit that to the Lord? Would you surrender that to the Lord? And then the greater work that we are to do, am I continuing doing what I'm supposed to do, what I'm led to do? You saw the members' commitment today. Are you in a cell group? Do you worship God by giving 10% of what God has given to you? Not what you earn, you know It's 100% God allow you to steward 10% goes back to His work Are we obedient children of God? Can we just rise as I lead all of us in prayer? For those of you who are working In a paid job Whether it's part-time You are a vendor Or full-time work I just want you to raise your hands I want to pray for you That your work is your altar That your work will be surrendered to God To serve Him And to change society For societal change And transformation And for those of you who are not working Don't worry, don't feel so guilty Just start looking for a job And accept the first job that comes to you Because it's the provision of God Father God, you see the hands raised Lord, thank you for giving us health For giving us our own personalities For giving us opportunities To earn our own keeps quietly To earn our living so that it is an expression of our love and our gratitude to you and to our loved ones Today we commit our work to you We surrender our work to you Help us to live like a certain kind of disciple That others in the office will notice us That we are different from the rest That we will not partake in company politics That we will not gossip That we will not steal things from the office That we will walk the way of integrity That we will be your witnesses That we will bear the cross Not just in our words But in our hearts So we commit to you For those of us who are in any vocation Whether it's part-time or full-time And that we will surrender and commit ourselves to you And allow you, Lord, to give us divine appointment So that we will effect societal change Gradually, by changing ourselves and by inspiring others to change This we ask and we pray, Father God, that this is what we want Before you, I kneel, my master and maker To offer the work of our hands For this is the day you've given your servant Oh yes, Lord, please establish the work of our hands to serve your greater purpose In every small and great task you've given to us That we will be helping others That we will bring eternal praise To you and your great name We ask this in Jesus' name good. Some time listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.